whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. Part of being an entrepreneur is a little bit of courage, right? So you have to be a little bit courageous, a little bit unfazed, unscared of what's next. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have my friends Angela Sutherland and Evelyn Roosley on the show today. They are the co-founders of Yumi, which is a direct-to-consumer meal delivery service that uses organic, nutrient-rich ingredients to support a baby's mind in their formative first thousand days. And they founded it back in 2017 when I, and that's when I first met you guys, I remember so fondly. And you guys are both based in LA still, correct? Correct. But I guess, you know, where, where are people based these days? You know, yeah, exactly. Work from home. Exactly. You could be anywhere. (laughs) 
So fun. And so the the two friends had this, I guess, Angela, you had this idea. And then Evelyn had some different experience. Uh, she was a Wall Street Journal reporter. And really, the rest is history. And we'll hear a lot more about that. So very, very, very excited to have you guys here. Welcome. Thanks for having us. It's an honor. Yeah, thank you for having us. Welcome, you guys. We're very excited to have you here. And so talk to us a little bit about Yumi. And well, let me back up. So how did you two meet? Yeah, so it's a funny story. My now husband, who I actually wasn't dating at the time, we were friends first for a long time, um, you know, was telling me about his close friends, Angela and her husband. And he was actually introduced to us. That was the, the first person I, I met through him of the, like his friend network. And he was like, by the way, Angela is absolutely brilliant. You'll absolutely love her. And you should be nice to her because at some point you two are going to start an amazing company. And so I was funny. like, what? I was just like, it's such a bold claim, right? And I was at the time at the Wall Street Journal. I was an innovation reporter and, you know, certainly in the back of my mind, I was thinking about, you know, what my next chapter might be. But, uh, you know, I hadn't even divulged that to Daniel at the time. And so I thought it was just a very interesting uh, preamble to our first meeting. And, you know, as you mentioned, like the rest is history. Uh, Angela is absolutely brilliant. She's become my closest friend. I mean, her family is like my family. But, you know, he was very prescient in that ultimately we did decide to start a company together. I love it. And Angela, talk to us a little bit about your experience. Well, I mean, one of the best things about meeting Evelyn was me liking Dan more. So I was like, wow, it's like, wow, you have good taste. But I think what was so funny. great about our friendship was we're both big nerds. So, you know, I was the math geek. So I just naturally like to research and do work. And Evelyn was a journalist. So by profession, she was also a big nerd. And we would just nerd out on things. And so the sort of origin of the company came from just us being friends and sharing research. And I think that was one of the most like fun times it was just like sharing back and forth research and ideas. That's so fun. So did you both, I, I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur because it was never on my short list of things to go do. And I know there is a list somewhere out there for so many. Did you guys know each of you that you were going to go and found a company at some point one day? Not exactly. So as I mentioned, you know, when I met Angela, I'm still very much a journalist. I, I really love the craft of, of writing and storytelling. Um, but as a journalist who was covering tech and innovation, I think I, I was also, you know, really inspired by the world of entrepreneurship and how it can be such a vehicle for positive change. Like you can really scale amazing impact and change the world through a startup uh, when done right and when done well. And so I always was, you know, found that really fascinating, inspiring. And so I think I always thought like my next chapter would have some kind of entrepreneurial bent to it. Um, it could have been a nonprofit. It could have taken many different forms. But, you know, I, I certainly didn't necessarily expect, you know, it, it come in this exact form. And I, I think, you know, there was the seeds that kind of like led to this moment of us starting the company, but it wasn't necessarily what, what I thought was like a predestined path as, as a child or, or someone 
you know, growing up, um, who ultimately became a journalist for for 10 years uh, of my life. That's uh, interesting. And how about you, Angela? You know, I probably would say that I lean more on the, I guess that I'd probably start a company. I, I think one of the things about me is that I love ideating and I love having ideas about different things that like we would build together, whether it's with my friends or if I joined something. So I, I don't think I was, you know, hard and fast on the idea that I had to be the CEO of a company, but I definitely always wanted to be part of building something. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including 
the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell, or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's awesome. And so Yumi is is all about babies. You guys, how did this idea come about? Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is like we talked about, it's really deeply rooted in research. So it came because I was pregnant. Uh, so I got pregnant. I did what all millennial parents do, which is I took to the internet and I started researching a lot, but I started researching a lot <laughs> and I started finding that there was a large amount of research dedicated to early childhood nutrition. And I was raised in the Midwest where I was taught that kids are really resilient and it doesn't really matter what they eat. And it turns out it's exactly the opposite of that. You know, kids are the most fragile and their brains are growing to 80% of their adult size by age two. So they actually need the right amount of vitamins and minerals to make that happen. And all of these doctors, epidemiologists, like they all knew about it, but the average parent didn't know. And so I was sharing this back and forth with Evelyn. And what we realized was, you know, there was a big group of people that were going home and cooking their food. So you have this like mass exodus from the market when at a time when you're the busiest in your life, you know, you just had a baby. And so why are all these people cooking every meal, leaving the marketplace? And it's because they didn't feel comfortable with what was at the market. You know, you have 10 different fresh dog food companies, but no fresh baby food companies. And so what Evelyn and I started thinking about was not only is there a really obvious product gap, but there's also a huge brand gap. Like there is no brand that, you know, the majority of parents really trust to get it right for their kid. And so Evelyn and I made it our mission to, to solve that. And did you feel like there were, what, how did you think about differentiating? Because there were, I'm just thinking, Plum Organic and Happy Baby and some of these others out there. So while you weren't creating an obvious new category, talk to everybody a little bit about the difference as you guys saw it. 
Yeah, one of the things that I think we did that fundamentally changed the structure and, and what we would offer as a company was think about it kind of going backwards. I mean, think about the pain points we were trying to solve, which as Angela articulated was a product, but also an information gap. It was a brand gap. And there was all these different avenues where we could solve for that. And so when we looked at what we could do and how we could support families, it was kind of like by starting with the the questions that we could solve for and then back end into into the experience. And so I think that's why, you know, when we thought about what relationship we could build, why we were drawn to initially, you know, building out a D2C business, you know, given that this world has changed so much with new technology platforms and everyone is so mobile mobile phone you know oriented we thought that there was a real opportunity to also redesign the relationship that we could have with consumers by being in their homes every single week with deliveries and giving them guidance that was beyond a food product so you know we never wanted to be just one product you know on a shelf we wanted to create an entire ecosystem around that and provide guidance every week on you know why we're giving you this meal and how it correlates to your kids development so i think like a lot of it stems from this root of like how do we solve for both that product and information gap and th- this idea that the consumer was craving a fundamentally different relationship with their kids food brand Definitely. Very, very interesting. And I guess none of those products were really, I don't know, doing the extent that you all are doing around direct-to-consumer and really having that direct relationship with the consumer in the same way. I think clearly you guys really were instrumental on kind of building building that out for sure. So, so many entrepreneurs have great ideas, but they just don't know how to get started. And in my book, as you and I were talking about earlier, my book Undaunted, I talk a lot about that, that it's not just about the idea, but it's also about just getting out of the gate and the execution of it. So how did you all kind of think about this and how did you get started? Yeah, I think part of being an entrepreneur is a little bit of courage, right? So you have to be a little bit courageous, a little bit unfazed, unscared of what's next. And I think other part is finding a good team. And I was really lucky to find Evelyn. I think between us, we were able to, you know, both like logically approach it and, you know, emotionally approach it and understand like what the risk is and what the reward is. And I think having that was an invaluable part of the experience. I think having a co-founder that you really trust and you respect makes this experience much, much easier. You know, I I joke, but that her then boyfriend introduced us and I married her first because, you know, it is a marriage. You're jumping into something together, but having her alongside me made this experience not just one of the most rewarding experiences, but also one of the most fun experiences. Yeah. And I think like, even though Angela and I are, are very different, we have very different backgrounds. We joke that we occupy opposite sides of the brain. She was the math major and I was the English major. You know, there's a lot that actually we have in common in terms of kind of our ambition and tackling problems and our um, excitement around being creative on creating solutions. And so, you know, I think like to that point of like what courage can do when you have a co-founder and you're thinking about redesigning an experience and redesigning a product, I think you, you tend to lean towards this you know, area of, you know, 
why does something have to be the way it is? Like, why not have the courage to create something that's weird or fundamentally different or solves a problem in a way that hasn't been done before? And so I think that was, you know, what was so great about our partnership is, you know, we when we started from the square one of building it up, we took so much joy and, you know, excitement in that process and really encouraged our each other to think very outside of the box of how we could support families. And so I think that that kind of created the foundation of the architecture of like what would eventually, you know, impact how we thought about designing the product and how we thought about the interactions and, you know, how we thought this could be different. I love that you were both aware that you had different skill sets going into this, that even though you liked each other, it sounds like right off the bat, it was really, you were really conscious about that. Because I think that that's such a big issue for so many people. They go to whatever business school and they find each other and then they're really not clearly different skill sets. And I think that that's where we see some of the challenges down the road where it almost ends up to be a competition and it's um, you two are just so clear about the different skill sets on on both sides, which I think is just awesome. So the first product, what, was it perfect? I'd love to hear your perception on, on that, your first product that you launched. No, I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> I think part of when you first launch is actually getting to know what it is you're looking for. I mean, the best part of D2C and the system that we've built is how iterative it is. And so you get immediate feedback. You understand immediately what uh, parents want. And so while we're we're always very sure on the product quality, and that was always going to be have to be perfect from the beginning, what we launched was not perfect for everybody. I mean, when we first launched, it was only a variety pack. So only different ingredients that we're going to give versus now we have a much more, you know, like system, like systematic approach that is inclusive of everybody on any type of scale where you start. You know, we have, we started with basically one stage before and now evolved to 10 stages. And I think what's you know, exciting about the D2C relationship is how much you can learn and how much your product can change because of that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it never feels like the work it is done. And, and that's what's exciting about having something that is living, breathing, and we can always fiddle and make better and more relevant to the consumer. Like one of the things that we learned early on was actually how relevant, uh, you know, the content side of it was in terms of having content every week that was tailored to that child, to that stage of development, given how many milestones are happening. And so one of initially, it was something that we printed out and we put in the box. And we realized that if we actually made sure that the content was facing up, you know, we certainly saw a surge in, you know, how long a customer was on the program. And so like being able to get those insights and trying to listen to that data and then figuring out, okay, so that is something that the customer values. How we can how can we better surface it? How can we create other digital touch points, like knowing that this is going to be core of the product. I think there was just um, a lot of learnings in those early days. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of always see this as this iterative process. I talk a ton about that, that it's just get your product out the gate and see what you're going to learn from the consumers. And it's, uh, I think so often people just get stuck, right? They start agonizing over exactly what is the packaging is it is it perfect right. is it this is it this and that's why and uh, you know for us when we launched our product it was uh 
it was really not taking into account what we would learn from lighting and how it would hit the mm-hmm. shelf and how we would and how we would be impacted by products sitting next to us like vitamin water that was super bright and colorful and things like that were just game changing the consumer couldn't see our product and so while i always say of course you have to have a safe product especially in the food industry um, and beverage industry you just get it out the door and actually and have it be pretty good and see what happens because you're going to want to revise it and for sure and i think that's what i'm hearing out of you all too i have this mentor who said to me that perfect is the enemy of the good and i still really believe that, that you, if you push for perfect, then you'll actually never ship and you just have to ship because then, because you don't even know what perfect is. Like you actually have to get the feedback first to know what perfect is. Absolutely. I think that's so, so key. So you get it out the door, uh, fundraising. So what has that been? How have you all funded this company? You know, there's different stages of fundraising. And initially, you know, as you probably experienced, it was friends and family and people wondering like, oh, well, you've never done a food company before. So what is that going to look like? Um, so, you know, I think it's it's very interesting at each stage uh, that we've been as we've scaled this company. But initially, there was a big question mark around like, should this exist? Right. Uh, I remember, you know, there was these earlier meetings where, you know, the I think like it's matured a lot over the last few years, but we definitely had some male VCs who asked us, you know, hey, well, don't women like cooking? (laughs) You know, that was one of the questions that we actually got. And so there was this, you know, question mark around like how much innovation does the kids food space need? And I think now, you know, we've definitely come to a place where we've proven out the need for it and that, in fact, not every woman just wants to be tethered to the kitchen. And so I think we've come a long way. And so, you know, every stage, I think the questions are different. But, you know, initially, it is kind of like explaining kind of why this needs to exist in the world and having that unshakable belief in your thesis. But, uh, you know, I, I think there, it, it is just kind of like continuing to push through the process, just like, in that commitment to making the product better and always being open to like pushing through that. You kind of have to push through fundraising, push through all the no's. I mean, I, I'm sure, Karen, in, in your history, you've heard many, many no's. And like, certainly we've heard our share. And it's just, you know, having such of this fundamental belief that this is going to have to exist in the world. And we believe that we have a unique vision and we believe that this could really help and support families, you know, just have it, you know, as open-minded as you have to be as a founder, there are certain things that should be unshakable. Yeah, and you're always going to find stupid people in the world that will say <laughs> stuff. And, it, it, you know, it's uh, it's something else I, I talk about. It was actually cut out of the book but just because the book had had to be cut at some point because it was so long. But my story like that is when I went out to raise money in Silicon Valley and went to my first VC, my husband, who is my chief operating officer, and he was... I think like 15 steps behind me, he was parking the car and coming in and very nice partner in this firm came to the door to greet me and he was making small talk, he thought, but he said, uh, so I I know you have four kids, like who's watching the kids? (laughs) And I thought, and I I just didn't really mean to do it, but I I stopped for a minute and I said, oh my God, 
And he said, is everything okay? And my husband walked in and I said, oh yeah, so we we actually, there's this thing called babysitters. Did you know that? (laughs) And he said, "Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, it's amazing. Like when you actually have to work and you have to come to this really important meeting, you can hire a babysitter to watch your kids. Did you, I, I mean, it's amazing. And my husband was like on the tail end of this and he was just not really listening. And And then the guy said to my husband, he said, I think I said something really stupid that I probably shouldn't <laughs> have said. But I didn't intend to actually say that. And so anyway, he wasn't, He. I just said, I said, oh, we're all good. And we went on to, you know, pitch the product and whether or not that sunk the deal with that VC or not, because he was so embarrassed by it. <laughs> it was interesting because when we walked out, my husband said, so wait, what happened? And I told him and he said, wait, I don't understand. So does he just think I'm a deadbeat dad? <laughs> like, why would he ask you that question? And I, anyway, I just, it's the, the, the thing is, is again, you know, the moral of the story is you're always going to run into stupid people that say stuff. I think a a lot of times they just don't even know what they said, right? They're just so stupid that they will say stuff that is just offensive and, you know, and whatever. I just, you know, you can let that stuff bother you or what you guys did. You just moved on. Absolutely. Right? And, and yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, I've heard it all. Over yes, of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, just it, it's just whatever, you know, as long as you have each other and your friends and you're, you know, it's what the, what the best part is, is when these people come back and I've had a few of these people come back, including that person. Oh, actually, wow. And, and, remember that conversation and remind me and I say oh yes I do remember that <laughs> very much and kind of joke about it and he uh he said I should have invested in you guys I I just really I didn't see it back then and blah blah and I'm like yeah you probably should have anyway moving on <laughs> I love it I love it I know I love when they come back and own it and resurrect it. You know, you don't have to do the work anymore. Let them. And so anyway, it's it's awesome. So primarily, so still like friends and family and um, some a, f- a few other people involved as, as well. What was the biggest obstacles you faced when really starting Yumi? I mean, how did you, like, did you have fears about it and starting? I mean, here you left big companies, Goldman Sachs, Toyota, you know, Wall Street Journal. I mean, what, like, how do, how were you feeling? Do you remember at the time when you were, did you have days when you just felt, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that's part of it. You're going to go through that, you know, soul searching part of like, oh my God, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be like without a job, you know, but I think ultimately that's what makes you push harder, right? You know mm-hmm. that this has to work. And I think this, it's its actually a really like, rewarding and good feeling. Like if you don't have anything to lose, then maybe you just give up. But the fact like, the fact that we have things to lose, like you have a life that you really, like you want to make work, you're, you're going to make this work, you know? And I think it pushed us to be better, to make this the right thing to make this the best thing that we could possibly do. And I think we believed in ourselves. You know, I think we, we knew as Evelyn had said before, we, we knew this product had to exist and we knew that we were 
looking at it in a way that was very different and can make a big difference. And so if you believe in yourself, then there is no option but it to work. Yeah. And I think like for me, it was also looking at what are like the different realities here, like that thought experiment. Okay. So if I don't do this, if I play the more conservative path here, what does life look like? And what kind of regrets would I have? And I think like when the conviction is so strong and you imagine that reality, you're like, you kind of get bummed out by it. You're like, oh, like I, I would have played the safe thing. I w- like, you know, what would that ultimately lead me to? And I think what was exciting about like this path was like, you just would also learn so much about yourself and how to scale a business. And there was so much richness in the path that we ultimately chose um, personally, but also like you're obviously taking a chance on making an impact in the world in a specific way that we thought needed to happen. That it's like the counter reality to that is becomes like really unsavory. Like, do, do I want to look back on my life and think about like, oh, like, what if I, I had been more courageous to do the thing? Um, what it like, you know, I, and I, there was even this moment, I actually don't have kids yet. You know, it's something like my husband and I are talking about, but, you know, people are always surprised to hear that I, I don't have kids and yet I'm part and co-founded uh, this kids company. But I, I thought about like my future kids and what I wanted to talk to them about when they asked me ultimately, you know, mom, what do you do and why do you do it? And I, I just couldn't imagine kind of answering it in that counter reality. I wanted to tell them like, you know, the, the passion I had for my job, why I did it, what we thought we could do. And I, that was, that was like really, I think poignant for me. It was just thinking about like what example I wanted to set for my future children that weren't born yet, but um, that really resonated. <laughs> you are going to eat my book up. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a big topic that I talk about that I didn't know when they were as little as uh, your kids. You have two, right? I do have two. Yeah. Yeah. As, as little as your kids. But uh, there's a story in there about my son who's now 18. Um, but when he was 12 and we were at the dinner table and he saw Sheryl Sandberg on TV talking about Lean In and he said, um, Mom, I just realized that women aren't CEOs. And I thought, oh my God, do I have to talk to him about this right now? I'm like going to wring his neck, right? And yeah. then he's bringing up this topic. And then he's, and then he just went on, not sort of knowing kind of the nerve that he was hitting with me. He said, I just, you know, realize this, but I don't really understand it because I don't know, you seem like you do a pretty good job. <laughs> and what I realized at that moment was that we were I was I was basically pulling him through a world that was different than the rest of the world. And so the next day he came back to me, uh, he plays a ton of tennis, and he came back to me and he said, why is it that women play on, girls play on their teams and boys play on their teams? Because there's girls that are better than boys at, at tennis that I want to play with, but I'm not allowed to. Aww. And I said, well, maybe you should change that. And he said, I think I'm going to. Because I, I just think that it's just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why we're dividing it by gender. It seems really dumb and just like walked out of the room. So again, you can actually, I didn't get it when they were little, but as they grew up and, you know, now teachers have said to me, your kids are so fun, all four very different personalities, but he's, they're so fun. Like they actually understand fundraising. They understand culture. They understand content. They understand data. Like the, there's, I mean, they'll just sit there when, when we barely talk about like 
plastics in bottles. My kids, like, first, well, it's not exactly that clear-cut, you know, carbon neutral. And, you <laughs> yes. know, and anyway, and they're like, whoa, you know, the Goldens are in the room, are in the house. And and so anyway, it's it's really fun. And you'll see it. Your kids will... They'll they'll see you fighting for things and and uh, and then also just other things that you know you're I working on. Yeah. I mean, no, can I, I just send my kids to you, my future <laughs> and then you can raise them because your kids sound awesome. <laughs> it's so funny, but also just finding your passion. I mean, that's people always ask me: Are your kids going to you know take over Hint? Are they? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, they've had internships at Hint, but they're also I want them to find what they want to get up and do every single day and they don't know what that is that sounds like your daughter is already writing yeah like off broadway plays so i feel like she's gonna be great (laughs) yeah i mean someday she's that the other day she's thinking about going into medicine you know like she and whatever like she'll do whatever she you know really like floats her boat right and i think that's the that that's the thing that if you you know are willing to work hard finding what you actually want to get up and do every day is it's actually kind of challenging but if you figure it out then you know you actually want to do the hard work otherwise it's like hard work sucks and i think that that's an important lesson for anyone or any kids or etc so anyway you'll you'll read more about it but it's uh it's pretty exciting. So what's the biggest advice uh, for obviously your two women that are, have started a business? What would you say is kind of the biggest things that that you've learned about starting a business? Maybe that you didn't anticipate just because you this is your your first startup both of you. I think I guess this could intersect into female related or not, but I think there are things like you don't know what you don't know. So like Mm -hmm. having this very open-minded perspective around like the true nuances of the challenges and the kind of the complexity and the variance of things you might face as a co-founder. I think like when I was on the outside looking into the world of entrepreneurship, I I definitely didn't properly appreciate, you know, the the kinds of fires and the crazy things that like CEOs, like even on a day-to-day basis have to, contend with. And, you know, just as a co-founder, I think it's just very interesting to understand that those unique pressures and the dynamic of that. I think like it's easy to make one decision. Like you can imagine like, okay, I I can figure out like payroll, right? But then you're going to have to make dozens and dozens of decisions simultaneously, especially in the beginning. And so kind of like understanding the nuances of that and the stress that that can cause and kind of stealing yourself for that, I think was one of the things that I found really eye-opening, like having that true appreciation for the, you know, how challenging and and yet how, you know, there's so much opportunity and like personal growth that comes with being a co-founder. And then also kind of counter to that is knowing that sometimes, you know, more than you think, <laughs> and maybe that's kind of speaks more to, you know, the female founder nature of this. I think there's, you know, been times, especially in the beginning where, you know, I doubted myself a lot. I felt the imposter syndrome. I mean, I think that's something maybe you never fully shrug off, you know, it just comes and manifests in different ways, but that, you know, you should have that courage to be, you know, a creative thinker and outside the box thinker and like, you know, the will to try it in different ways. And I think like, you know, having confidence that, you know, you can add value and you can look at things from a different perspective that might kind of yield, you know, 10x or interesting outcomes, I think is like, you know, also part of that advice. So like, 
on one, it's the humility of the experience. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, is like, you know, you you fought through so much to get here. You know, you, you're probably going to figure this out or bring something to the table that's different. Absolutely. I feel like the the topic of health in general has, it, it, there are certain industries during the pandemic that have just kind of jumped and gone faster. And it, obviously the the virtual online world, like the Zooms of the world, but but in addition for what I'm seeing in our consumer is that we have a lot of new consumers who are waking up and realizing that they've got to take their health into their own hands and that they're not, you know, especially during a time when even if people get COVID, it's, they don't really want it, right? For the majority. There's some mm-hmm. crazies out there that actually <laughs> did want it. They definitely um, don't want it. <laughs> they don't want it, right? Yeah. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, we started this pandemic where people were joking around, you know, they were drinking, they were eating Cheetos, whatever it's uh, along the way. But then I think that that sort of dried up. Some people gained weight and weren't able to sort of figure out kind of the balance of, you know, continuing to exercise and do all of those things. But I think for the most part, I feel like people are really trying to pay attention and stay healthy. And how did they do that? And it's not a conversation about masks. It's really a conversation about, you know, what you're putting into your body, I think that is so critical. And I would think that for your industry, people are sitting at home looking at their kids and saying, I need them to stay healthy too, because if nothing else, you know, they're, if they get sick, I get sick, right? And do you feel like you're seeing that a lot, like in terms of new customers? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the great, like the things that we like to talk a lot about is how you know, how health develops and how you know, a lot of your health is from the inside out. So, you know, what you eat really does impact it. Like what, like how much, how many vitamins and minerals, like how, how well, you know, oiled your system is, so to speak. And I think what we like to emphasize is that healthy eating begins early. So it begins at childhood. And I think that's actually something that post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, a lot of parents feel they want to get right with their kid, you know, so yeah. whether their habits are great, it, it's, it doesn't matter. You, you want to set that, that child on the right path. And I think what we've seen obviously w- with the pandemic is this increased focus on health. But I do think that ultimately this, the sense of taking care of your child will trump anything. So even if I'm still eating Cheetos, like I, I, I still want the best for my kid. And I want them to be healthy and I want them to, to be set on the right path. And I think, again, we, we've seen that definitely increase over the years as trends get more healthy. But, but I, I still think it's just a fundamental feeling of being a parent. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally, totally agree. Have you had a failure, Evelyn, at, along the way that you think is is something maybe that you've really learned from? It, it could be a hard situation at the time, but what's one where you look back on and you say, wow, I, I really learned my lesson or, or uh, you know, in some way? Yeah. I mean, I think what's so interesting about this experience so far for me has been this idea that like it really forces you to contend with your strengths and weaknesses and be just honest with who you are. And I think like 
as a journalist, as a storyteller, in my previous life, like you know, you're you're kind of an an island in a way, working in a newsroom, and you're kind of like working toward the stories you have. You have an editor. You're kind of just like you know, you work on a story, you ship it, you're on to the next one. And because there's so many moving pieces that are interrelated, and as co-founders, you kind of have this disproportionate, obviously, tentacles into all these pieces of the organization, you kind of very quickly realize that, like, your strengths and your your weaknesses do have an impact on the organization. And so the best thing you can do is be, like, brutally honest with yourself. And so I think through this process, I've I've realized, you know, my own, I wouldn't, I don't know if I call them failures, but the things that I see as deficient or things that I can really improve, whether like initially when we started the company, I I think I took on too much um, on on my plate. I would kind of like dive into the details on things and just allow myself to get overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, it's those things that like the the mirror is so close to your face because you have to deal with it because you know, it has some, you know, significant impact on the organization overall. And so it's kind of contending with those like, you know, personal like demons or struggles that you have, but at least like the honesty just allows you to move forward with some semblance of clarity. And I I think like that has been so interesting for me personally. Um, But, but, you know, I I think I definitely feel like there's, and this is probably also weakness I have to get through is like feeling like you're, you're feeling on, you know, little things every day. Like, you know, you can't master everything. You can't be perfect at everything. Again, it's like you can't, you know, just always aim for perfection. And I think I used to also be a a perfectionist in, in many ways. So that kind of like discovery and realizing the import that it has and like how you can unlock so much value for the company in that honesty and that conversation with yourself has been like a really important learning experience, at least for me. I totally agree with you on that. I think that that's the key thing and just really learning from those times. I think that the other thing that you said in there that I'm such a big believer in is that it's not a race, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that that is while you you know try and do as much as you can during a day um that's that's another thing that i learned along the way that it's it's a great product and a great strategy is high and above more important than something that is just that you just race to do because you feel like someone's going to get you you know yeah. and, and it's i've seen it over and over and over again and i think it's great to have goals but the key thing is really to realize that, you know, I I mean, I've been doing this now for 15 years, and we're still standing because we, in many ways, took our time to have a quality product, and took money from the right people and all of that. And so I think being able to really stop and kind of recognize that is something that is just so critical. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say in terms of both of your biggest strengths? Mm. Uh, I think it's almost easier to talk about the other person. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that I think Evelyn's biggest strength is her like ability to empathize and communicate. Uh, And so that cuts across everything. So it, it sounds like it would just be some softer thing, but it applies even to you know, fundraising and being able to connect and under, like have other people connect and tell the story. She's able to do that on um, for customers and allow 
understand how parents want to connect to a company. And I think her ability to try to really look and see what are the connections, like what are the points that people want to feel? How do they, like, what is the story here that we're trying to tell and how are we trying to build this brand? I think has resonated across, you know, again, like from fundraising to brand building to also intra-company, like, so, you know, like the office dynamics, being able to understand sort of how to help people within the company grow. And I think, again, that, I think her biggest strength is her deep ability to connect. Yeah. And um, I would say one of Angela's biggest strengths is, is being such an active and ambitious thinker. And so she's, I mean, I've met many people in my life and I always believe that you're kind of the, the average of the people you spend the most time with. Right. I mean, that's a, I know it's a kind of a cliche saying, but I feel very lucky that Angela's my partner because she kind of like pushes me to think more ambitiously and also more actively. And so it's like, when I say that, I mean, like Angela will never phone something in, in the, in the course of a discussion or a debate, or when we're whether we're talking about product or we're talking about life, we're talking about the headlines in, in the news. It, she always has this lean in kind of like, uh, I guess, I think perspective or just, you know, posture when it comes to thinking. And so that manifests itself in a myriad of ways that has been incredibly beneficial to the company. It's like, and she'll, you know, she's such a curious and creative thinker that she'll like, you know, push everything to the limits of what you thought was possible with like a line of thinking. And so you know, you can imagine how that allows us to create such interesting like ideas, whether it's about the experience of the product or like, why can't this be this way instead of the way it's been done a hundred years, right? And so it's always kind of like that break the mold type of active thinking that like pushes me to, you know, I, I think be more aggressive and ambitious in how I'm thinking about questions. And I think that is, you know, very much manifested in, in in the company and, and the, the path we've carved and, and how we problem solve. And so I would say like that, that's just something that is very hard to probably articulate, but can be so magical to have is like, you know, her being my co-founder and like, just, you know, trusting that, like, I know that, you know, the company will be going in places that are really exciting and different because our CEO, my co-founder is you know, that's a core quality that she has. And so it's been really fun just to kind of be able to revel in that and to have that in a partner. So basically, if people want to find the two of you, where do they do that? Uh, Obviously, Yumi online, but but also just share sort of where do people find follow you too and figure out more about what's going on. I joke, yeah. but Evelyn is deep into the Twitter. So <laughs> I think you can definitely. I love Twitter too. I'm, <laughs> I'm all over it. <laughs> and as and, and fright, it, it, as scary as it is, I just got into TikTok about a month ago, and oh, I, my gosh, yeah. college kids oh, it is are frightened—they're <laughs> frightened by it slightly. So I was on FYP at like my 15-year-old was just almost like hiding because his friends were texting him. It was hysterical. So any, anyway. <laughs> it's I'm still don't have the following that I have on Twitter, but it's uh, I, I'm I'm just doing it just to see what what's going on there. But uh, oh, my God, that's... TikTok is fascinating. I think TikTok will know more about like 
people's interior like psychology and like what they actually care about than maybe any other service. That for you page algorithm is utterly fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm more of like a, a a listener as opposed to a, a poster on TikTok, but I do think that's really interesting. And and yes, you can also find Yumi at helloyumi.com or at Yumi on Instagram. But and I, I I'm also these days more reading on Twitter than I am posting, but it is it is a great way to kind of learn about people's perspectives. And I I think it's it's a remnant of the days when I used to be a writer and I, I still can't fully wean myself off of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I really, really love it as well. So, and how about you? Yeah, like for me, I'm very traditional. So I actually just <laughs> invite all emails, like just Angela at Hellyumi. And anyone that's interested to talk to me, I'm interested to talk to them. That's awesome. Great. Well, everyone, if you liked this episode, I loved it. I love chatting with the two of you and it's Us such too. a great story. And if you liked it, give great reviews on it and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. And everybody have a great rest of the week. We're here every Monday and Wednesday with great stories on founders and CEOs and just overall people that can really enhance what you're thinking about in your life and hopefully your business. Thanks so much, everyone. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, But achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.